You might be seated. As you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Get ready. If you were to go and take a look at the chapel or the church at Chapel Hill in Douglasville, Georgia, pull up their website, you'll see the name of our guest tonight as pastor evangelist. If you were to take a look at the guest list of TBN, CBN, NBC, ABC Family Network, and soon Fox News, you would see the name of our guest tonight. If you listen very, uh, very much and happen to Google his name, you're going to see he's preaching here and yon, going to and fro, just letting you know the devil's not the only one that goes to and fro. Anointed men of God go to and fro, amen, seeking out who might be redeemed by the authority of Jesus Christ. God has anointed him. We are delighted to have our guest tonight. His proudest accomplishment, and I use that word loosely, happens to be his wonderful wife, Heather, but then after her are two wonderful children. Their names are Zion and Graceland. Would you give a Victory Church welcome to Brother Daniel Gray, everybody? God bless you, Daniel. Take care, buddy. Oh, come on. Does anybody love Jesus here at Victory Church? Oh, come on, that would be good enough. That would be all right if that was for me, but I'm talking about the King of Kings. Come on, the Lord of Lords. Come on, he is our Messiah, and tonight he can heal you and touch you with his fire if you believe it. Give him a worthy praise right where you are. Come on, he is able. The Bible says in Ephesians 3, he's able to actually do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask, think, or imagine tonight. Man. I'm so excited to be here. I, I truly sense something uh, in the atmosphere. Pastor, I, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. I, I really sincerely sense something in this room. And uh, I'm sure this anointing is always present here when you come on Sundays to this great church. And, I uh, mean, I've got so many friends that attend here, people that are uh, not only working here, but people who are attending here. And uh, I just hear nothing but great things. And I'm so delighted. I do bring greetings from Douglasville, Georgia, on the west side of Atlanta. Uh, that's where my wife and I uh, live and serve at the church at Chapel Hill under Pastor Dave Devine, and uh, we are just thrilled to be able to do that. Uh, I uh, get to serve there as a young adult pastor, as an evangelist. Also, I get to serve as an assistant chaplain with the Atlanta Falcons. Don't judge me, okay? But uh, uh, God has given me that opportunity now for the past, I guess now, nine, ten years, and uh, it's just really been a blessing, and uh, uh, that's opened doors for us to be able to minister to pro sports teams, college football teams. In fact, I've done uh, Clemson's chapel a few years in a row but roll tide. So uh, you clap too soon, brother. <laughs> Man, I'm probably making people not like me already up here. But uh, I'm just so excited to preach the word. I really do feel like I have a word from the Lord for you, for this house, for this season. And uh, I'm just so thrilled. And I just want to say I'm honored to be here actually all week. I'm going to be here with the students here at Victory and uh, obviously with friends, Mark Hilton, Adam Lawley, Josh O'Connor, all these incredible men of God leading the charge with student ministry and their lovely wives. And I don't want to go any further. I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment not only to honor your youth leaders, but your lead pastors and Pastor Wayne and Sharon. You ought to make some noise for these incredible <laughs> leaders and pastors' legacy. Thank you, sir. I want to go to the Bible, if that's all right, in Joshua chapter 5, and I believe we may have this for the screens. I'm actually going to begin my reading in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and then what we're going to do is we're going to read an extensive portion of Scripture. That's okay. They gave me five hours to preach tonight, so uh, we're going to, we're going to, just kidding, uh, we're going to read Joshua 5, 13, and then we're going to meander right into chapter 6, and I'm going to skip around a little bit through this very familiar passage of Scripture, and in so doing, believing that God is going to give us a fresh word from these pages pages in the holy word of God. And uh, I just need to let you know, maybe you've never heard me preach or never been in an auditorium where I'm present and have a microphone, but here's how this is going to work the best. I'm what you would call a holla at your boy preacher. Now, for those who aren't in the student ministry, uh, what that means is, is I'm about to holla at you and you have my full permission to holla back at me. Somebody say amen. Joshua chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 13, it reads, Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn 
sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Now let's skip down to verse 10 and 11 of chapter 6. It says, but Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not even say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Here we go again. Skip down to verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And now let's skip down one more time to verse 20 and 21, where it reads, When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. And now I want to underscore, underline, highlight, circle, do whatever you got to do, verse 21 in your Bible of chapter 6, where it reads, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword. Somebody say, with the sword. Uh, A lot more force, say, with the sword. Every living thing, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. I want to talk to you just for a few moments from the subject, from the thought. Use your sword. Use your sword. In fact, you can just help me preach this sermon right now. Would you just do me a favor and find somebody, just find somebody sit next to you and say, hey, neighbor. Uh, find, uh, make them believe you're about to really tell them something, okay? Say, hey, neighbor, I don't know about you, but in 2017, I'm going to use my sword. Tell them again. Say, I'm going to use my sword. Now prophesy to yourself and say, I'm going to use my sword. Let's pray. Awesome God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to be here on this stage. I do not consider it just a, a happenstance or, or a, uh, just, it just so happened that I would be here. But, Lord, I know that you would not have appointed me if you not, had not already anointed me to be here tonight. God, I'm praying that in these sacred seconds, these moments of ministry, we would just experience your word in such a way that it would not just be hearers found in this room, but, but we would be doers, that, God, we would hear the word in such a way that we would activate it in our lives and we would begin to see victory. Lord, I'm thanking you right now that this message is the kind of message that's going to cause us to completely step out of everything that tried to kill us in 2016 and step over the threshold into everything that God wants us to take charge of, take possession of, and pursue in our lives in 2017. Lord, I thank you that we will experience your glory and power before we leave this place. Devil, we speak to you once and only once because that's all you're worth. You have no position, no power, no authority, and in the name of Jesus, I decree and declare someone in this room who wants it is going to leave this place with a breakthrough, the very thing they've been hoping for and praying for. It's going to come into their lives tonight. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, just say amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to be here tonight for many reasons. I've already told you that, but I'm really excited about this message because I get to talk about one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible. His name is Joshua. I love Joshua because Joshua just reminds me of myself in so many ways. And to spare you the details and uh, the laborious parts of that 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 could probably bore you, let me just share the reason why I really love Joshua is that we see somebody who was following somebody who was an incredible leader because he wanted to one day walk in his shoes. And, And so really, for us to understand Joshua, it really helps that we look at the leader that preceded Joshua, 
Joshua was charged to lead the Israelites, the people of God, to the promised land, God's promise to his people. But in order for us to really understand Joshua and his leadership and who he is in, in Scripture, it would help and it would serve us if we would take a look at Moses, the leader who would pass the baton to Joshua. So if we would just take a moment and put Moses up underneath the homiletical microscope, if you will, we will find some things about Moses that really help us understand and appreciate Joshua. You know Moses, don't you? Moses was the kind of leader that as long as he was around, the people of God had nothing to worry about. As long as he was there with his stick in his hand, you're going to be all right. As long as Moses was there with his staff, everything's going to work out. The Israelites are so hungry, they're starving, they start murmuring, complaining. Moses says, I got you. Stretches out the staff, and Chick-fil-A starts emanating out of heaven. I'm from Atlanta, y'all. There's a story where they're so thirsty, they're parched. Moses says, I got you. Stretches out the stick, taps a rock, and Fiji water starts flowing for all of God's people. The Israelites are running from the Egyptian army. Pharaoh changed his mind. They're on their heels about to attack them or capture them and put them back into slavery. Moses says, I got you. Stretches out the stick. You know the story, Charlton Heston, the waters part, and they get across on dry ground. And Moses once again saves the day. Moses, as long as he's there, you're cool. Moses was a singular. He was a, he was a singularity. He was a solo kind of leader. You know those people who say, look, I know you could probably help me, but, like, if you help me, it's going to take longer anyway because you ain't going to do it the way I want to do it, so I'm just going to do this myself. That was Moses. Some of y'all are married to Moses. You can just elbow him right now. This is Moses. This is his style of leadership. He says, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to be the leader. The problem, though, without going into all the details with Moses, is that he would eventually burn out, never get God's people to God's promise, and he would pass the baton of leadership to Joshua. Joshua shows up on the scene, and essentially his first day on the job, Joshua leads the Israelites to a place called the Jordan River. Do you remember they get to the Jordan River. You know all them Israelites are looking at Joshua, this new guy, like, hmm, body of water, got to get across to get to the promised land. Been here before. Where's your stick? <laughs> and Joshua ignores the haters and says, um, here's what we are going to do. Keyword, we. He says, you're going to carry the ark. You guys are going to march. You're going to pray. You're going to worship. We're going to get across this thing together. Joshua understood the importance in the context of unity and teamwork. And Joshua steps onto the scene, the new leader, and he saves the day. Now, why is this important in the introduction of my sermon? Let me help you see something that maybe you haven't seen yet up until this moment. What's so awesome about this is that Joshua became, in effect, the new Moses. But Joshua didn't do things the way Moses did things. Moses passed the baton to Joshua, but he did not pass the staff. Joshua did things differently than the leader who preceded him. And this is really good preaching four minutes in. You want to know why? Because this means you don't have to be like anybody else to be used by God. You may not be Benny Hinn, but if you're anointed, you can lay hands on the sick and they have to recover. You may not be the most eloquent speaker in the room, but if you know some word, baby, you can speak to your mountain and it has to move. Listen, don't let anybody else tell you you have to be anybody else but you. You are anointed to be you and can't nobody be you like you can be you if you believe it give him a worthy praise for who you are you are fearfully and wonderfully made he knew what he was doing when he created you Joshua steps on the scene and the Israelites are like okay he's got this they're excited a victory God stopped the waters for Joshua just like he stopped the waters for Moses it's amazing that he received the same mantle, but he didn't use the same method. Uh, they get across the Jordan River, and as soon as they step up over the horizon, here we go. As soon as they step over the horizon of their recent victory, they see a city in the distance with walls completely surrounding it. The Israelites have never seen anything like this. Now, if you're anything like me, when I've heard the Sunday school story and I hear about the walls of Jericho, I just kind of pictured a castle with a little flag waving at the top and a wall around it, some cinder blocks or something, you know. But this was an intimidating sight. 
This was a militarily fortified, defensed city with armed guards. There was an outer wall, six feet thick, 20 feet high with armed guards. If you somehow made it through that, there was an inner wall that was twice as thick, twice as high, with twice as many armed guards. It was an impossible predicament to continue their conquest of what God had for them. They looked at this thing and realized there's no way. So let's take a walk in the shoes of the Israelites for a moment. They're like Joshua. The thing at the Jordan River, that was awesome, but, but, but how are we going to get past this? These people, they're, they're evil, they're, they're, they're idolatrous, they're, 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 they'll murder us, cold blood. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this impossible situation? Joshua, we don't have a cannon, we don't have a hand grenade, we don't have Chuck Norris on our side. How are we going to get through this? <laughs> and in that moment, while the Israelites are looking at Joshua, like, what are you going to do? Someone else enters the picture. Did you see him? The Bible says Joshua looks up and sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And when he appears to Joshua, Joshua asks the same kind of question I would ask if somebody pulled a weapon on me. Whose side you on? You for me? You for them? What are we doing here? And this man replies to Joshua and he says, Neither, I'm not on anybody's side, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And in that moment, Joshua falls face down in reverence because he realizes who he's having an encounter with. I don't have time for an apologetics class or a theological debate this evening, but what I will tell you is that I can prove really fast in two ways this is much more than an angel. This is not... Michael or Gabriel or another angel from the host of heaven coming to appear to Joshua. No, this, this is more than an angel. I can prove it to you because, first of all, this man, he, he came in appearance as a man. This man allows Joshua to fall face down on the ground and give him worship. Angels do not receive. Rather, they give worship. Secondly, he says to Joshua, take off your sandals because the ground you are standing on is holy ground. Which, by the way, is the very same thing God said to Moses through the burning bush. So what we see here, ladies and gentlemen, and I submit to you for your careful examination, is the manifest presence of God showing up to Joshua in his time of need. And Joshua begins to experience God. See, Joshua knew the voice. He may have appeared to him as a man, but the reason why he recognized him was because he spoke to him. See, God will show up in all kinds of ways, and he won't always look the same as maybe he did another time, but if you know his voice, you will always recognize him, no matter how he shows up, no matter how he comes to you, no matter what your circumstance looks like, when he speaks to Joshua, he begins to worship. And I love what he says. He says to Joshua, see can you see him looking back over his shoulder? Joshua, see? See Jericho? See this city? See this impossible situation? I have delivered it into your hands. Along with its king, its fighting men, I have. Not I will. Oh, Not I will. I have. I have to just stop right here in the sermon for just, if it's just for myself, just to thank God for the I have promises. Because with God, it's not I will bless you, it's I have blessed you. It's not I will deliver you, it's I have delivered you. I'm so glad the word of God says, I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I'm so glad, he says, I've already done it. Someone in this room, you've been hoping for it, praying for it, you're just looking for it. Maybe it's going to show up in 2017. God wants to tell someone. Somebody, if it's in my word, I have already done it. I have made the crooked path straight. I have gone before you, prepared the table. I have. He says, I have. He gives him a promise. Before anything else happened in the story that many of us know so well, the very first thing that happened in the chapter that precedes Joshua chapter 6 is God gives him a promise. He says, I've already done it. He gives him the promise before anything else. Why? Because hear me. The promise is always the key to the problems in your life. For every problem in your life, God has a promise for it. There's not nothing you're going through, nothing you're facing tonight that God doesn't have a promise for in his word. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I, I, you know, I know in my generation, many of us, we use our, our, our phones too much, all right? Let me just say that up front because I don't want you to judge me by what I'm about to say. But I really like Apple products. I like my iPhone. 
I like my iPad. I like my MacBook. I don't have an Apple Watch, because that's going too far, Josh O'Connor. But, <laughs> but I like Apple's products, and, and, and I like Apple. Now, uh, how many Apple users do we have in church tonight? Oh, this is a spiritual church. Praise the Lord. By chance, are there any Google or Android users? Raise your hands. All right, leave your hands up. The rest of us, let's extend our hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, just release them from the spirit of darkness. Do what you can, Lord. Do what you can. <laughs> the reason why I love Apple uh, products so much, honestly, is not just because of their products, but it's because of their marketing. I just think they're really geniuses, and I think they're really smart in how they market. It's very simple. And, and I say all that just to say this, that there was a, a, a phrase that they used many years ago, and it still sticks today, and it's a trademark phrase that Apple used, and it's this, it's, there's an app for that. They want you to know, no matter what you need right now, go to the app store on your phone, there's an app for that. Can't remember where you parked your car? There's an app for that. Since you can't find your car and you need a ride, you need a lift, uh, there's an app for that. Need to go out on a date somewhere? Don't worry, there's an open table. There's an app for that. Need a date to go with you to the restaurant to get to the table? Once you find where you parked your car, don't worry, swipe, swipe, swipe. Oh, swipe, there's an app for that. They've got an app for everything, it seems like, and this is amazing, and it really, this, is, this was made so real to me when I lived in Chicago. Now, y'all, I don't know if you know this, because you're in Florida, where the sun is always shining, but in Atlanta, this morning, it was 15 degrees when I walked to my car to go to church. Did you hear what I said? Not 50, 15 degrees. 15 degrees, y'all. I was freezing. I'm a Georgia boy. I'm from the South. I don't know cold like that very much. Like, like you guys in the winter, when, when it gets cold, you, you feel that it's cold, right? This morning, I could see that it was cold. Fog was emanating from my nostrils every time I would exhale. I had to, to scrape ice off of my windshield. There were icicles Big icicles hanging from my garage. Do you know what kind of hazard that is? Do you know the, do you realize? By the way, do you, have you ever thought about that? How it's got to be real cold when water is falling from a building and just stops. An element gave up and just said, I'm tapping out, bro. I can't even do this anymore. It was cold this morning. Do you want to know something? I got in my car, and, you know, I'm, I, you know, I don't have, like, all the stuff for the heat because I live in Georgia. They call it hot landing for a reason. But I got in my car, and my heater wasn't heating up fast enough, and, you know, my hands are cold from scraping the ice and everything. And, and, and I, my hands, I was trying to steer and steer. Well, you know, if you go on your phone to the app store, you can actually download apps that show up on your screen like a heater. And whether it's a placebo effect or not, I don't know. It's designed to help you warm your hands. There's an app for everything. <laughs> they got it right with that phrase. But you want to know something? God has a phrase too. For every problem in your life, there's a promise for that. If you need to be healed and you're sick in your body tonight, don't worry. There's a promise for that. He says it's by my stripes that you can be healed. If you're depressed and lonely and you feel ostracized and rejected, don't worry. There's a promise for that. He says weeping may endure for one night, but joy is coming in the morning. Maybe you feel like nobody cares about you and you feel lonely or maybe you lost a loved one in 2016. Don't worry. There's a promise for that. He says I'll be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you have a prodigal son or daughter or brother or sister or loved one or family friend and you're wondering is 2017 going to be the year that God is going to save them? I pray that Lord. Don't worry. You can stand on the promise that says he is the good shepherd and that he'll leave the 99 to go after the one for every problem in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a promise for that. The Word of God is filled with thousands of promises that we just have to access. I'll never forget a mentor gave me a book one time to read. He said, I want you to read this book, and next time we'll talk. And, and I, I, months went by, and although I am an avid reader, I didn't read the book that he gave me. He knew the season of life I was in. He knew what I needed to learn about. The next time I, I met up with him, I said, sir, I'd love to just talk to you about some situations, some things. I need some guidance. He said, did you read the book I gave you? I said, oh, well, 
You ever do that? Like when somebody asks you a question you weren't ready for, you should just start beatboxing for no reason. I about to what book? Oh, that book. Oh, yeah, I was going to get around to it and see what happened was, you know, and I just keep this on the bookshelf, you know, because I read so much, you know, I'm trying to make it to that one. Well, he said to me, he's like, hey, I knew you were going to need what's in that book. So why don't you go read that book and then we'll meet for coffee again later? I said, the audacity. I said, yes, sir. Respectfully, I walked away from that meeting and I went and read the book. You know, many of us are just like that with God. We come to God, we complain, we pour out our hearts, we pray, we say, God, why? Why am I not making it out of this? Why am I still in the same place? He's just saying, have you read the book I gave you? Because the answers are right here. The things you're asking me for, the things you're seeking me for, I've given you the instructions. I've, I'm showing you how to see the victory in your life. God gives Joshua the promise first. Here it is. In the midst of what looked like an impossible situation, God gives Joshua revelation. See, the problem is when you come to church and your pastors and your leaders are preaching the word and you begin to hear the word and you begin to go to classes and you begin to be discipled, you begin to get what we call revelation. God reveals things in his word to you and it changes your life. The problem, though, is when God gives us revelation, the enemy comes in to bring fear in through our situation. Intimidation, doubt, unbelief. He has a plot and a plan to steal, kill, and destroy you. That's why you cannot walk through your life in 2017 according to your situations. You notice how I do this because your situations are actually beneath you. You can't walk through life in 2017 according to your situation. You have to learn to walk according to the revelation that's higher than everything you can see in the natural. You have to believe that even though I see this situation not ending well, I already know how it ends anyway because he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. You have to begin to say, God, I want to see what's higher than what I can see in the natural. May I say it this way? God, help me to see what's more real than what I can see in the natural. I love people who have revelation. I love people who, who live this way. You know, people who have revelation, they talk different, act different, walk different. I love to be around those kinds of people. It doesn't matter what they're going through. They got faith. They believe God. Why? Because they're listening and they're reading and they're, they're trusting that no matter what it looks like. Nobody wants to be around negative Nancy. <laughs> Try to tell her something good that's going on in your life. She always wants to just bring you down. You know, I'm just, I'm just believing God. I'm going to go to Brazil on that mission trip this year. Well, you know, the Zika virus is still running rampant. You probably should reconsider. You know, I just really feel that 2017 is going to be the year that, I, that I'm able to give and tithe and, and sow seeds in a church and, and ministry more than I ever have before. I believe God wants to just do some, some things in my life through generosity. Well, you know, all the church wants is your money. Get out of here. That's what I do to negative Nancy's in my life. I don't, I don't need that negativity. What I want is people who spur me on to be positive and have faith and believe. I want people who know what God's word says regardless of what they're going through. See, these are the kinds of people that when they go to the doctor, the doctor can say, I'm sorry to tell you, you're sick with a disease that we cannot cure. We can only medicate. A person who has revelation can look at that physician and say, I respect you because you are a physician. However, I'm going to have to go for a second opinion. And he is the great physician, and he's never lost a case. And his word says that sickness and disease can't even come near my dwelling place. See, people who have revelation, they walk different. They live different. They talk different. Years ago, my wife and I, we were actually engaged at the time. We're at a hospital in Atlanta called Piedmont Hospital. We were there because her grandfather was in a really bad accident, and because of this accident, he had, he had to have brain surgery. And uh, it was a very serious procedure, so they have at this particular hospital, away from the public waiting room area, they have this place that it's, it's the intensive care waiting room. Very small waiting room. Now, it was myself, my wife, she was my bride-to-be at the time, Heather, and her grandmother. We were the only three in the waiting room because really the waiting room is so small. It's literally like three chairs and then a couch and a lamp. It's just very small. Not a lot of people are in there. The big waiting rooms are down the hall. And so his procedure had gone really well. So we were all just, you know, smiling, talking, passing the time. We were waiting on the doctors to let us know that we could go in and see her grandfather. So as we were sitting there, I'll never forget this woman walks in carrying a, a bag and a pillow and a blanket 
and she just kind of sits down. She kind of falls into the chair right across from us. Now, it's such a small waiting room. If, if somebody doesn't say something, it's just going to be awkward really fast. Like, we have to talk at this point, okay? Because we're the only people there. She sits down. We're like six inches from each other. So, so me, being the talkative type, I just say, hey, what's, what's going on? How, how are you? And, and she said, I- I'm fine. Uh, you're probably wondering why I have this bag and everything. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and I could just see that her, her, there were bags under her eyes. She seemed really tired, kind of out of breath. And she said, I- I- I'm here because my brother's in the intensive care. She said he has cancer, and she said, that's why I have all this stuff, actually. I've got this pillow and everything because I've been here for 12 days because my brother, uh, this, this leukemia has caused this mold to completely surround his lungs. And she said he, because of this mold, he, he should have died really 12 days ago, but I've just been here this entire time. They let me sleep in one of the hospital rooms, and, and we're just kind of waiting on him to pass. She said, you know, I'm kind of faced with some tough decisions here because I'm really the close family member, and she's like, I've just been here for a while, and I'm just tired, and I'm just wore out, and, and she started to cry. She looked up at me, and she said, you want to know what makes this so hard? She said, you may not believe this, but she said, just one year ago, I was in this same small waiting room because my husband, who also had cancer, was in the intensive care for a procedure. And when the doctors came in this room to tell me what I thought would be good news, they came to tell me they were sorry that he had passed I lost my husband a year ago. And she said, you know what? Now my brother, who's now in the same part of this hospital with the same disease and I'm in the same waiting room every day. He's the only family I have left. She said, that's why you don't see anybody else here. I've been here for 12 days. Nobody else is here. It's just us. And now this disease is about to take him from me. Now in that moment, I really had a decision to make. Hearing the situation, I could skirt the issue, pray for her, comfort her, and realize that she's probably right. This man's going to die. Or I could listen to the voice because I was reading my Bible just a couple days before this and I remembered a psalm that I read that says, he orders my footsteps. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And he said, I've ordered your footsteps. And I thought to myself, could it be perchance possibly God, you've allowed me to be in this waiting room because you knew this lady named Mary was going to walk in and sit across from me. Could it be that you've ordered my footsteps to be here for this woman who is hopeless in this moment? So I said to Mary, I said, Mary, I said, I'm a Christian. This is my, uh, my, my, my fiance, Heather, and her grandmother. I said, if it would be all right, we would love just to pray for you. She said, absolutely. She stood up. When she stood up, we got in a little prayer circle, and I said, you know what, before I pray, I just want to let you know that I believe God is a healer. And I said, I'm going to pray for you, but if it's okay with you, I want to pray for your brother that God would heal him from this disease. She said, that's fine with me. And so we started praying. Now, if you can't already tell, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, uh, passionate person. So I was praying like way too loud in this hospital. <laughs> Doctors were coming in there like, what's going on in here, sir? I was like, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. I was quoting every scripture I could think of. I was pleading the blood. I said, devil, the blood is against you. Doctors were coming in like, sir, you're going to have to keep it down in here, okay? This is not a church. This is not, you know, it, it was bad. But when I was done, I, like a good preacher, I said, in Jesus' name. Amen. I looked up, and y'all, can I say that from the south, I will never forget what Mary said to me. Soon as I said amen, I mean, I felt like I'd only got the uh of the uh amen out of my mouth. She said, thank you so much, but I just know it's his time. Now, y'all, everything in my flesh wanted to go, uh, Mary, hello. Did you not hear my prayer? It was like the greatest prayer of my entire life, okay? The blood of Jesus, his stripes, no sickness, no disease. Come on, no hope. <laughs> but I stayed saved. I said, Mary, I understand what you're going through is really hard, but I just believe that God can heal him. And that was it. We left that day. We got to go in and see her grandfather, and we drove home, and, and that was it. However, because her grandfather had to stay there a few days to recover, her grandmother stayed there as well. Her grandmother saw Mary three days later in the cafeteria. Mary said, I need to talk to that young man who was saying all that stuff and was praying all loud, and the doctors had to come. I just need to talk to him. I need to talk to him as soon as possible. And Mary uh, had the opportunity to communicate to me, and she said, "Um, young man, I I need to talk to you because uh, today, three days later, we, we, we... 
we, we had an opportunity. The, hosp- the hospital sent the doctors into the intensive care waiting room, and they came to see me, and obviously I was nervous because I've been here just a year ago, and she said they came to get me, and they said, ma'am, we just need you to come with us. She said, we walked to the hospital room, and she said, I, I don't know how else to explain it to you just to tell you what the imagery looked like when I walked in. She said, when I walked through the door, tears in my eyes, uncertain as to why they wouldn't tell me anything, when we walked into this very public, well-known hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, she said, when I walked in, the doctors were standing there at the foot of his bed, thumbing through their clipboards, scratching their heads, because the mold that was on his lungs has completely disappeared. They did tests. He was cancer-free. He went home where they said he should have died 12 days before. He walked out of the hospital with his sister holding his hand. He went home totally healed by the power of God. Ladies and gentlemen at Victory Church, I came to prophesy to tell somebody, I don't know how hopeless your situation looks today or tonight, but I came to tell you God is still in the business of doing miracles. He can heal your body. He's not just raising the dead in Africa. He's doing it right here in America. He's just looking for some people who say, I'm not going to believe what I see, but I'm going to believe what's higher than what I can see with my optical vision. I'm going to believe what the Word says. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Here we go. Got to rush. So Joshua gets the promise. He gets the revelation. He gets this revelation from God. And so now he has to call a meeting. Because remember, God came and met with Joshua not the Israelites. So now Joshua has to call this meeting. Can you see this meeting? All right, everybody, gather around. All 2.5 million of y'all. Come in close. All right. Um, I know, guys, I know I'm the new guy. I know it was really cool what I did at the Jordan River, by the way. But <laughs> now that I'm the new guy, you're probably all wondering, like, you know, what are we going to do? If Moses was here, he would just tap the walls with a stick. Bada bing, bada boom, we'd be good. What are we going to do? I know it looks bad. The big walls, the big burly man, the armed guards, I know it looks bad. I don't know, you're probably wondering what I'm going to do. But I met with God. <laughs> yeah, I met with him. We talked. <laughs> And uh, he told me (laughs) how we are going to get through the situation here. So what we're going to do is is we're going to camp out here, all right? And uh, every day we're going to get up from camp and we're going to march around the city. And while we're marching, we're going to play the trumpet. (laughs) They're like... You know, there's probably at least one Israelite girl in the back corner with an attitude. She's like, Joshua, uh uh, ain't nobody got time for that. We got to go. We got to get to the promises of God. You got us here marching around in this Middle East heat. What is this? We got to go. What is this band camp? You got us camping and marching and playing low. We got to go, Joshua. We got to go. At that point, all the Israelites start to scatter. Joshua's like, wait, 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 wait. Don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost forgot. Somebody get her. Um, I almost forgot. One more thing, guys. All right. Uh, whew. Okay. Nobody can talk either. In fact, we can't say even one word <laughs> until the day I tell you. And the way we're going to bring the walls down is we're going to yell at them. That's all I got, guys, really. (laughs) They were probably thinking, this makes no sense. This makes no sense, Joshua. This, This is completely ridiculous. You know what I found out about God? I found out he doesn't have to make sense because he made sense. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And so since he created the laws that govern our universe and our planet, he reserves the right since he made the law to walk above the law if he so chooses to. That's why the law of gravity says you cannot walk on water. But but since he made the law, he could walk above the law if he wanted to. Since he created and formed and fashioned your body, even though the doctor would say there's no cure for that disease, he reserves the right to say it's by the stripes on my back that you can be cured from an incurable disease. See, 
the atheists and the agnostics and the scientists and the, 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 the mental, so to speak, elite of the world would say since miracles contradict science, they cannot be true. But if you think about this, God doesn't have to contradict them. He can only intervene with them. See, the, the law of gravity says that an apple, when it falls from a tree, will hit the ground. But if I reach out and catch it, the law is interrupted. And many times the laws, the things that make sense, God steps in. And he catches you where you should have fallen. He touches you where you felt you were untouchable. He loves you when nobody else could love you when you were at your worst. He steps in and does a miracle. What I love about the Israelites, I know what Joshua told them is it sounds crazy. He said, we're going to march, we're going to play the trumpet, nobody can talk, we're going to do it every day, guys. I know it sounds crazy. But even though the Israelites get a bad reputation for being murmurers and complainers, in this story, what I love about the Israelites is that we don't see them murmur, we don't see them complain. They just said, Joshua... Yes, sir. Are you willing to follow your leader even when it doesn't make sense to you? They said, you're our authority. God puts you here. We're going to do whatever you tell us to do. And they started marching. They didn't care how foolish they looked. They didn't care how stupid they looked to all those guys sitting up in Jericho thinking, what are they doing? They have lost their mind marching around. What are they going to do? They got some spears and some slingshots. What are they going to do? But they, did, they said, we don't care what we look like. We don't care what you think about us. We're just going to do what God told us to do. And in 2017, let me just say to somebody, you got to get to the place where you say, I'm not going to worry about what people think about me like I did in the past few years of my life. I'm just going to begin to say, God, if you've called me to this, I don't care how dumb I even look sometimes. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And this, by the way, has to apply to some of us when we worship God and when we bring him our praise because I cannot stand somebody who thinks they're too dignified to give God worship when you come to his house. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when you look at the Ark of the Covenant, you see there is a box involved. Inside the box, there's a few items in there. We don't have time to talk about it, but those items all point to Jesus. But isn't it amazing when you look at the Ark of the Covenant, on the outside of the Ark, between the two angels, is the presence of God. Because the presence of God shows us that our God is an out-of-the-box God. He can't be contained. He can't be held in. And he wants an out-of-the-box praise from an out-of-the-box people. So even though I can't dance, I might just dance a little bit tonight. Even though I can't sing, I might just have to make a joyful noise tonight. Because hear me, if I wanted to impress you, no offense, but I would have come to your house. But I came to God's house tonight. And he gets my best praise. He gets all of my passion. He gets all of my voice. He gets everything I have. What? Because he didn't hold anything back from me. So how could I hold anything back from him? You may be looking at me and say, young man, it doesn't take all that. It doesn't take all that to worship God. I hear what you're saying. But if you could see my past, if you could see who I was, if you could look at me just 18, just 13 years ago, my God, just 14 years ago, you would see somebody who was a drug addict. You would see somebody who was an alcoholic. You would see somebody at 17 years old who was in a car accident after selling dope all night, leaving a strip club, intoxicated with cocaine, ecstasy, marijuana, and so much alcohol that I had a point four in my system when they tested me. I fell asleep at the wheel unconscious. My car flipped several times through oncoming traffic. When the paramedics arrived at the scene of my accident and they had to cut me out of my mangled car with the jaws of life, they realized that my heart stopped beating. They realized that my lungs were not working. I was dead. They put me in the back of the ambulance. It's medically documented. They had to cut my clothes away. They used the AED device on me. They had to perform CPR on me. But ladies and gentlemen, I lived through that accident. When I woke up in the hospital, the nurse said, you're the luckiest person I've ever seen come through my care. I said, ma'am, I don't know what you're talking about. I want to get out of this place. You may think this is crazy. Usually when I share this with people, they think, well, no wonder you're a preacher now. You like died and God saved your life. You better give your life to Jesus. But listen, I didn't change. I left the hospital and went right back to my sin, right back to the same relationships, right back to the same club, 17 years old. Thought I ruled the world because I carried a 9 millimeter on my hip, because I had money, because I had friends who were counterfeiting money. I was involved in so much crime. You wouldn't believe it. I had three DUIs, 16, 17, 18 years old. Doesn't even make sense with law. But I was in three different states, and so I was a minor in two states. It's a long story. What I'm trying to tell you is I was jacked up. But I had an encounter in my bedroom one night where God came and he came and spoke some things to me. And I decided I was going to give my life to Jesus. So now you may understand why I'm a little passionate. Listen, 
Don't you judge my passion until you've seen my past. If you could see everything I've been through, you would understand why I have to praise him like I get a breakthrough every time I do it. He's been too faithful to me. He's been too good to me. Do I have any people in the room who he rescued you out of darkness? He pulled you out of the flames. He set your feet upon a rock. Somebody give him a praise in here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get so excited, but when I think about his goodness, when I think about all he did for me, it makes me want to give him everything I have. Oh, he's been so good. And the Israelites say, we don't care what we look like. We're just going to serve him. We're just going to do what he's called us to do. And hear me, every day they did the same thing for six days. Get up from camp and start walking in circles. Every day, doing the same thing. They've heard from God. They're even doing what God called them to do. Seems like nothing's changing. Seems like nothing's happening. Just got to be faithful. Have you ever been there? Feels like I'm just going in circles here, God. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm doing what my leaders asked me to do. I'm, I'm reading the word. I'm trying to make better decisions this year. It's not just resolutions, Lord, but I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels. In fact, every time I feel like I'm getting closer to you, I feel like I turn and go the other way. I feel like I'm just caught up in a cycle. God, why isn't anything changing? Who am I preaching to? They're walking in circles every day for six days, but on the seventh day. And the scholars in the room already know where I'm going with this because you know seven in Scripture is the number of completion and perfection. And I found out with God, even at my young age and stage of serving him, that oftentimes I feel like nothing's changing. I feel like nothing's happening. I feel like I'm just walking in circles. I'm asking God, why isn't anything changing? I'm serving you. I'm being faithful. I'm doing what you called me to do. But I found out he doesn't always show up when I want him to. But he waits for the perfect time, every time, to show up in my life. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you can look back over your shoulder and say, God, thank you that you didn't give it to me when I wanted you to give it to me because I probably would have messed it up. I would have gotten it too soon. It would have crushed me. But you waited for the perfect time to give me that wife. You waited for the perfect time to give me that ministry. You waited for the perfect time to show up in my life. God shows up on the seventh day because seven is the completion of the process. What does Joshua say? He says, today's the day. He commands them to shout. And when they shouted, the walls of Jericho collapsed. Oh, I wish I could have been there. Many theologians postulate different ideas about how this happened. But I just wish I could be there to feel whatever it was that happened to see these walls come tumbling down to hear the roar and the praise of the Israelites as they saw their enemies being crushed before them. When they shouted, hear me, this was much more than just a noise. I want to submit to you tonight, this was a praise. How do you know that? So glad you asked. Because it was an audible expression birthed out of expectation based on what God had already said. That was really good, but some of you missed it. Let's rewind. It was an audible expression birthed out of expectation based on what God had already said. It was a faith praise. It was a praise not for what God had done, not even for what God was currently at the moment doing. It was a praise for what they knew and believed God was about to do. See, sometimes you can't wait on the breakthrough to give God your praise. Sometimes you have to praise God before the breakthrough shows up in your life. Most people want to praise God when they get to it, but God is looking for some people who will praise him while they're going through it. See, sometimes a miracle is asking you to praise your way right into the miracle. Don't wait for the wall to fall in 2017. Don't wait for the healing to come in your life. Don't wait for the check to come in the mail. Don't wait to praise him. Say, God, I'll praise you like it's already done. Because that's what released the power of God to bring down those walls. See, many times the sermon ends here, but can I take you deeper? After the walls fell, this is very interesting to me. God had instructed them through Joshua to do something. 
it says, after the walls collapsed, every man charged straight into the city. And it says, they took the city and devoted it to the Lord. And with the sword, somebody say, with the sword. With the sword, they destroyed every living thing in the city. Remember when the angel of the Lord, God's presence, showed up to Joshua? The Bible says he came to Joshua with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, there's a difference in the sword being in the sheath and being taken out of it. You realize that? God showed up to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, before the story we're all familiar with, with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, Joshua was a warrior himself who also carried a sword. And so Joshua, being a warrior, asked him two questions. This is very important because Joshua knew there's only two reasons to have a drawn sword. Not a sword, a drawn sword. The two reasons are, number one, you're ready to fight. Reason number two, you are ready to equip someone else to fight. So Joshua, being the warrior that he was, asked him two questions. First question he asked is, whose side are you on? And he says, neither. That's when Joshua begins to fall on his face and worship this man. Because he realized it wasn't just a man. And he realized that he needed to ask him the second question. Because if he has a drawn sword and he had not come to fight, he must have come to equip someone else to fight. Joshua says, what word do you have for your servant? What message do you have for me? Lord, what word are you holding in the appearance of a sword. See, Joshua realized what many of us are about to realize in these moments is that the sword that the Lord was holding that day was no ordinary sword. It was a spiritual sword. It was sharper than any double-edged sword. Joshua realized, which is why he asked him, what word do you have? Because he realized that this sword, even the grass withers and the flower fades, that this sword would stand firm forever. He realized that this sword was living and powerful. He realized the sword that he was holding was the sword of the Spirit. So he says, what word have you brought to me today? And then he spoke and gave him the promise. And that's what carried Joshua not only around the walls, but into the city to destroy everything that was still alive. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the sword of the Spirit represents the Word of God in your life. And the message for you tonight is, is that God is putting a sword in your hand for this new year. He's putting it in your hand. He's saying, I'm going to put it in your hands. I'm going to let you take the Word. And that's how you're going to see the victory in your life. If you have the Word of the Lord, you have the weaponry of heaven. When they went into the city, what did they do? I'm almost done. It says... They destroyed every living thing. Somebody say living things. Everything that was still alive, God had instructed them to put it to death. With what? With the sword. Everything that was still alive, theologians call cities like Jericho, places that were at a point of no return. This is before Jesus had died for all of mankind. So God would often smite entire nations because they were so evil and so sick and so idolatrous. He says, go in and kill anything that's still alive, even the animals. Go kill everything, but do it with the sword. These living things represent the things in our lives that even though we've seen God do mighty works in our lives, even though we've had victory at some level in some place, there are still some things that are standing between us and God's promise for us. And the only way we can defeat those things, the only way we can put those things to death is we have to use our sword. So when depression tries to bring you down this year, you have to say, no, weeping endured for a one year in 2016. But God has given me the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. When you feel that little sniffle or that cold coming on this season, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you are healed in the name of Jesus. You have to begin to use the sword of the Spirit that God has given you. What is that thing? in your life that seems like it never 
dot. It's been there for far too long. And it's the sword of the Spirit that's going to help you see victory like you've never seen it before. You couldn't do it on your own. You still can't do it on your own. That's why this year the sword of the Spirit is going to be the very thing that takes you where God wants you to go. This makes sense then, doesn't it? Why the Bible says the power of life and death is in our tongue. Because when we begin to speak the word of God, we can destroy the kingdom of darkness and everything the enemy is trying to do to keep us from God's purpose for our lives. I feel the anointing right here. God wants somebody tonight just to activate the word of God in your life and begin to use the sword. Jesus shows us how to use it in Revelation because in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus riding on a white horse. His eyes are as flames of fire. He had a robe that had been dipped in blood. On his head were many crowns, but out of his mouth, was a sore that he would use to smite the nations because the sword that God puts in your hand tonight, he wants you to take out of this place and bring it out of your mouth to speak to everything that's trying to keep you from God's promised land for you, your family, your business, your purpose, your calling. And I came to Victory Church to prophesy 2017 is going to be the best year of your life. All you have to do is use your sword. Somebody give him a worthy praise in this place. Come on, stand up all over the room right now stand up all over this auditorium and just begin to give him a worthy praise hallelujah please stay standing the spirit of the lord is in this place while you're standing i'd like to ask if you would just bow your head and close your eyes father I thank you for this opportunity, this divine appointment. And Lord, I'm asking that in these moments we have tonight that you would just open the eyes of the blind spiritually that those in this room who have been blind to what you want to see come to fruition in their lives would begin to see more clearly than they've ever seen. Lord, I'm very aware that in a service like this, this size that, Lord, there are people in this room that are far from you. Some of them, they, they're honest with themselves, have really no real relationship with you. Maybe they, they don't frequent the church. Maybe, maybe they do, but they've never made this real commitment to say, you're my Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're in here and you would say, wow, this is what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that God is going to prepare me to see victory because maybe you feel like you've experienced defeat. If you're in this room and you would say, Pastor Daniel, I, I, I want you to pray for me tonight because to be honest with you, <laughs> Jesus is not the true Lord of my life. He's not leading. He's not guiding. I, I can't even tell you how much time I gave him this past year. If you're in this room and you would say, I, I, I just want to declare today at Victory Church that Jesus is the Lord of my life, that he truly is the king, that he truly is in control. And I want to give him my whole life. I want to place everything in his hands. If you're in here right now and you say, Pastor Daniel, I just want to declare that he's the Lord of my life. I want to give my everything and my all to him. If you're in here, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. And you say, Pastor Daniel, I want you to pray with me that I can make him truly the Lord of my life. If that's you, just lift one hand high up in the air all over the room. You're saying, I want to make him the Lord. Many of you, if you're lifting your hand, you're, you're lifting it for the very first time. Maybe you've never lifted your hand in a moment like this to receive prayer. Maybe you have before, but you want to make it real tonight. You want to say, I'm coming back to you. I want to pursue you. I want to draw near, and I want you to draw near to me. I, I'm seeing hands go up all over the room, and you could put your hand back down. If you lifted your hand, I, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And, and let me just say this. I, I can't pray it for you. I'm just here to help you, but I want you to pray it from your heart. You say, well, what are we going to pray? We're just going to say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Make me new. I want to follow you. I want you to truly be the king of my life. I want you to save me from everything that's trying to destroy me. So if you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this after me. And I want everyone else who's already a believer in this room just to pray this prayer with those who are praying it right now. Just say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, say, Lord Jesus. Tonight, I give you my life. I give you my heart. 
I give you my mind. I give you my everything. I need you to save me. Lord, thank you that you died. You paid the price that I could never pay. You lived the life that I should have lived. Then you died the death that I deserve to die. You died in my place. Jesus, thank you that you died for me and you died as me. Be the Lord of my life. I'll follow you. I'll pursue you because I need you. In Jesus' name. The Bible says when just one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. With all the hands I saw go up all over this auditorium, I think we ought to just rejoice for about 30 seconds. I think we ought to take at least 30 seconds just to give him a worthy praise because he's mighty. He's in control. He knows exactly the plan that he has for you. Hear me. It is plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. If you believe it, give him a worthy praise all over the room right there. Hallelujah. Before this band leads us in a song. As I mentioned a moment ago, the word shows us and Jesus more importantly shows us how to use the sword. Just the same way that he used it, that it comes out of our mouth. So maybe you're in here tonight and you need a miracle. Your pastor declared it right in the very beginning of the service that there are people who need a miracle, people who need to be healed in their bodies, people who need a breakthrough in their thinking, people who need a financial miracle, whatever it is for you know what you need. Could it be that tonight is the night? Could it be that this is your moment to begin to speak things that are not as though they already are and begin to see it come to play in your life as you walk through the next few days or even moments? Can I just say this? And I don't say this everywhere I go. I mean that. But I really sense that God wants to do miracles in people's bodies tonight. In fact... I just want to share this with you. In 2016, we were able to travel around the United States extensively. And in 2016, I felt the Lord say to me, you're going to see signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word everywhere you go. And we saw creative, undeniable, ridiculous miracles in 2016. At the end of the year, I've been praying and fasting, and I said, God, I, 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 I want you to do a new thing in 2017. The Lord stopped me and said, but I want to continue to reveal my glory through signs and wonders. The very first public miracle Jesus did, at least in Scripture that we see in John 2 when he changed water to wine, that was his first miracle. It was a picture of the new covenant. Don't have time to teach it. But what I love about that story is that after the miracle happened, it says... It says, he thus revealed his glory. It's not so much to impress people. It's so that he could reveal his glory. In fact, one of the very first youth conferences I ever attended after I gave my life to the Lord, I will never forget a man of God was up praying for people, and I saw somebody take their cast off and begin to run around the stage like they had lost their mind. And it was that that stuck with me because God revealed his realness to me. Because I was searching. I said, God, I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. And I believe that same anointing is here. Hear me. I may not be Benny Hinn, but I serve the same God. And he wants to heal people in their bodies tonight. Huh. Would you just begin to pray with me before I get out of the way and let God do this? I just got to do this one more thing. Just begin to pray. There are people in here right now. You have rheumatoid arthritis. God wants to heal it. You're in here tonight. Someone here, I feel, I feel very, very strong. It's one of your eyes has been giving you problems. I feel like this more than one person. It's one of your eyes. I can't tell you if it's right or left. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. 
There's one eye that's bothering you. It's giving you trouble. I don't know if you're blind or if you're foggy or if you, it's giving you pain. There's someone in here and there's something going on in, in the arch of your foot. I feel that so strong. It's the arch of your foot. It needs to be healed. It needs to be touched. God wants to heal you. Someone in here, you've been dealing with migraines, the kind that cause you to see spots and it's been plaguing you for years. God wants to heal you of that tonight. There's someone in here and you have scoliosis so bad that you've been diagnosed and it won't change and it's been there your entire life as far as you can remember and God wants to heal you of that. Someone in here, you have given up on God to heal you because you've said, I've come to the altar time and time and time again. I've asked God. He hasn't done it. Could it be that right now is the moment? Maybe if you just had enough faith to praise him like it was already done in just a moment, he would heal you. I I sense there's somebody in here with stomach ulcers. You can't even eat certain types of food because of the pain that it causes you. Someone in here, you have neck pain and pain in your shoulder, knots that form and develop in your in your upper back and it causes you to to, to have to put heating pads and things on your neck and and medication. God wants to heal you of that tonight. There's someone here and and you've got something going on with with one of your fingers in your left hand. It's it's, it's caused you pain and even when you try to move your ring around like I do with my wedding ring, I I sense that it causes you pain. God wants to heal you of that tonight. There's people here that you've been diagnosed with breathing issues. Maybe it's asthma or bronchitis or maybe it's just a sinus infection. I don't know what it is, but God wants to heal breathing issues tonight. Listen, I'm just getting words of knowledge right now, but I'm going to stop because many people in here, I haven't even said what you're dealing with, but you know what you need in your physical body. And the word of God is true where it says his stripes were for so that we may be healed. Tonight, we can't just stand in front of the cross to worship Jesus. Some of us need to walk around to the back of the cross so we can look at the stripes he has on his back because he took those stripes for this very altar call so that you could be healed in this moment. And so right now, if I called out something that you need prayer for, or even if I didn't, but you say, I need my miracle in my body tonight, would you just lift one hand high in the air? Now, sacred saints all over this room, I want you to find somebody with one hand up, and I want you to lay hands on them and pray for them right now. Come on, find somebody who's saying, I'm believing God for my breakthrough. I'm believing God for my healing. And Father, in the name of Jesus, come on, pray with me. We believe you. We believe your word is true. God, I know that people are in pain in this room right now. I know that people are afflicted in their body right now. But I also know the anointing is here. I know the power of the Holy Spirit to break every chain is here. I know, Jesus, that your will for us is that we would be healed. Because in your word, when you saw people that that were sick it says you had compassion on them and you healed them so God I thank you we don't have to ask you if it's your will we know it's your will heal people in their eyes heal people in their stomach heal people in their back heal people in their head heal people emotionally heal people from depression touch every physical ailment touch every disease we believe that the word says sickness and disease has no authority no power to come near our family and we declare the promises of God are yes and amen. And in the name of Jesus, may every sick body be healed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all of heaven roars your name. Sing loud. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. The sound of heaven. Our Father, sing it up, our Father. Our Father. The dawn of heaven rose your name. Sing louder. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven. 